Ever since the Great Recession and financial crisis of the late 2000s, the American economic model of building large suburban housing developments with cheap credit and sometimes even cheaper building materials and standards has been called into question. Setting aside all the jobs generated in construction, banking, and other financial intermediation, municipal governments also depend on growth for taxes to pay for not just future development, but oftentimes previous build-out phases that did not meet their financial projections. With recent examples of cities such as Jackson, Mississippi, and Flint, Michigan failing to cover the maintenance costs of their municipal drinking water, this financial crisis has turned into a health crisis. Tonight, I am joined by returning guest Dark Enlightenment to examine just how widespread these problems are and potential strategies for getting you and your family away from them. Well, I'm not a crook. I've burned everything I've got. The military-industrial complex. We are here to destroy the control over the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's been time, dearly. The only president who is a president. Me, the father, the twin, sixteen, she did Hello and welcome to the Myth of the 20th Century. We have a very special guest, Dark Enlightenment, to enlighten us on the subject of municipal infrastructure, municipal finance, and the state of uh, small town America in particular. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, Dark, I wanted to start off with a, a story you mentioned to me about Jackson, Mississippi. What's going on down there? Well, uh, Jackson is the, uh, I believe it's the state capital of Mississippi, but uh, Jackson was a mostly white town that is now majority black, and earlier this year, the Corps of Engineers had to intervene uh, because they don't have a working water, or did not have a working water treatment facility, um, and thank you so much for having me back. It's a... Uh, a pleasure to be on one of my favorite, personally favorite programs. I'm a huge fan of Myth of the 20th Century and all the work you guys do here. So uh, thank you for having me back. Oh, feelings um, mutual. Th thank you. Anyway, Jackson, Mississippi has you know, what you know what they were lo loosely calling uh, from earlier this summer and fall a, a the Jackson water crisis. And basically... Um, Jackson failed to pay bills or the people who live in Jackson didn't pay their water bills and the lack of financing uh, eventually got to the point where they couldn't maintain the facility and they had to have an emergency team from the Corps of Engineers show up and fix it. Um, and, you know, the, the size of Jackson has stayed in terms of population has either stayed the same or, or gone down, but I do believe it's, it's tripled in physical size in the last uh, 50 years or so. I'd have to 
look it back look it back up. But but basically, is that is that more than the uh, the system can handle by the initial design? Can they retrofit it? Is it just lack of maintenance? Like, uh, do you know what the crux it, of the it, issue it's is? A, it's, it's a toxic combination of a bunch of different things. Um, it it's a uh, it's lack of maintenance. Uh, probably a little bit of criminal, um, you know, misdealing of funds by um, the the present mayor, who's a, a black nationalist, or um, previous administrations, um, you know, infighting within the the entirely black community, um, you know, the the water board or whatever. It, well, it's it's just a it's just a it's it's a civilization in decline. Right. Is this uh, is this comparable to Flint, Michigan? I mean, very very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically they they don't have a treat, working treatment plant. They can't drink the non treated water. Obviously, um, is it coming from the Mississippi River or is it? Uh, I, I don't know how the I, the I, southern. Um, municipal tap systems work because they get so much rainfall i would assume you can just sort of tap a well really easily almost anywhere you are down there but i guess they have to have like a lot of places the uh the centralized systems as well <clears throat> i i'm well i think that they had a, a a particularly rainy summer and that like overwhelmed one facility and mm. uh, you know that there was a, a combination of things and to be honest, I should be more prepared, but I'm not about what exactly went wrong there. Um, well, we, we don't. It's one of those things where yeah. I, <laughs> I knew I knew all the ins and outs six months ago, and then was like, oh, um, you know, the 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 uh, we were talking before we were recording, like eventually you just learn, like, okay, yeah, they're lying, and like, yeah, um, you know, <clears throat> the, the the residents of Jackson, to my shock, right, are completely incapable of maintaining a system uh moving on and then you just you just forget it because it's 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 you could you could well, do unfor- unfortunately we we've, of- we've seen this more than once i mean just look at the management of the cities like this and they typically deteriorate pretty quickly i mean the infrastructure in detroit baltimore the list goes on but um i think the main takeaway that I think we're trying to go for with this uh, topic is what does this mean uh, for, let's say, more uh, transition areas, not necessarily completely off the rails, but sort of getting there. What are the signs? Uh, what, um, What can you do if possible, if you're at all influential in your smaller town? And uh, we were also going to get into some of the, the financial aspects as well, if uh, if we can do so with any level of credibility in terms of understanding it all, because it is a little bit of uh, an opaque subject where you're looking at stuff that nobody, unless you work in government, has real direct experience with. Uh, I think people have a general understanding of things like interest rates and bond bond measures because people vote on stuff like that. But you sent me an article um, called the Growth Ponzi Scheme, and it was focused on, I I think, the suburban uh, development model primarily. It it kind of was 
speaking generally, but I think it was really drawing from mainly those types of examples in smaller slash medium sized suburban towns, which, um, if I'm not speaking incorrectly, he's sort of referring to the kind of the build out these, uh, tracked housing developments, put in a sewer line, put in a road, put in fiber optic or telephone lines, I guess it it was written about 10 years ago. So, you know, they had a copper wiring probably, they didn't probably do too much fiber at the time, but you know, your utilities, your infrastructure, and then you start taxing it. And so the, the government point of view is they want to encourage this stuff because they increase their tax base. They can fund other projects that they might want to do. Uh, they can tell their constituents, you know, we have a healthy balance sheet and a balanced budget because we're now receiving more money than we were before. But then they also have to fund the investments to make these projects possible. And that requires, from what I understand, typically uh, issuing debt. <clears throat> so the article, I mean, maybe you want to jump in, but the article from what I gathered was basically saying that a lot of these projects are predicated on incorrect projections that assume that either, I think, uh, he kind of clarified it and like, there were, there are two paths. Um, I'll have to pull it up, but yeah, basically the amount, I'll just read it. So the amount of financial return generated by the new growth exceeds the long-term maintenance and replacement costs of infrastructure. The public is now obligated to maintain, or the city will always grow in ever accelerating amounts. So as to generate the cash flow necessary to cover long-term and I'll insert previous obligations. Um, so I, if I could sort of, paraphrase that it's either you, you build a new development and that development is actually cash flow positive. If you're thinking in terms of like a business or it isn't, but you're, you're growing other communities so that they start giving you tax dollars. And so they offset whatever you're losing on that first initial or previous investments. I think that's the argument. And the guy gives, um, what is his name? Charles, Charles Marone, Marone yeah. from this website, strongtowns.org. I've, I've seen the site before. I don't know if they're still like doing stuff, but the article's kind of a decade old. So take this for what no, it's they're, worth. They're, but, they're still busy. <laughs> they're still writing. But no, I, I think um, it's worth talking about because so corporate and foreign bonds are $14 trillion out and then um, – you know, municipal or um, state debt is, is comparatively like $4 trillion. So it's not, um, you know, bonded and so, debt. So let's not say like, that again. So you said corporate and something else is $14 trillion? And, and, and foreign bonds. So wait, 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 foreign wait, governments. Wait, 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 wait. The entire planet except the United States is $14 trillion? That seems like kind of small. Uh, is that what you're saying or am I misunderstanding? Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the number is, by the way. I'm just, I'm just asking questions. But I mean, if you're um, saying the, the municipals in the United States is 4 trillion, 
the rest of the world's got to be bigger than three times that, you know, or four times that. Um, this is from Invesco. So I, I don't know, like, uh, it's saying that there's four trillion of debt outstanding versus corporate and foreign bond markets, which have fifteen trillion of debt outstanding. Hmm. So okay, um, all right. I mean, it's, that's that's still a lot of money, but um, it's a lot of money. It might be more than that. It's a lot yeah, of money. But anyway, yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, so here's the thing, though, about this growth Ponzi scheme problem, whatever we're running into. You know, uh, uh, Piketty you know, like capital in the 21st century, the real problem mm -hmm. with capital in the 21st century is, is going to be like, um, the, the, the real capital shortage is going to be, you know, 130 IQ plus white and Asian men who are sufficiently, um, bought into civilization to show up to boring office job every day and do thankless grunt intellectual work to be, you know, to make life better for people that hate them. Um, well, why do you mention <laughs> Thomas Piketty? He's a French guy, so I probably butchered that pronunciation. But I, I remember him again like 10 years ago. His book got a lot of press. And my understanding was the book was about how wealth is concentrated in generations that have had it for a long time. And it, it there's not a lot of upward mobility. And what they do is they basically take that money that the the generations of you know, the Rothschilds or whatever, they basically just have enough money to to buy off the best fund managers, and then it's sort of a self perpetuating cycle. And his conclusion is you need to tax everybody. Um, that to me seems to be a capital distribution topic. And you're saying there's a capital shortage. Um, well, no, 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 like like. P Piketty, because he was a liberal, couldn't talk about the lack of human capital being the biggest problem. The no, of course. He wants to sell books, of course. But, um, yeah. Uh, okay. uh, and, I, and I bring it up because we've got this, to bring it back to the Strong Towns conversation, we've got this municipal bankruptcy thing where, you know, Flint, Michigan is, is has has a water problem. Jackson, Mississippi has a water problem. You know, you're, you're, every, every town you live in, you know, the, the roads are like, you know, full, full of potholes that could swallow a Volkswagen Beetle, right? Um, and and a lot of places just, just it depends don't on how much money the uh, the people have in the town. Typically, that's what I've noticed. Right, but you know, there are places in America where, like, you you, you would be better off having a gravel road again as opposed to like a paved street because. Like people can actually maintain, like, you know, with like a gravel rake or something, <laughs> you know, their their quarter mile stretch of road. Yeah, if you it's know, the theirs. But I'm sure you're well aware of, through experience too from the tragedy of the commons. So right. yes, you right. have to yeah. have like people who take pride in their community, also, which uh, right. or or just own it. It's like the American like libertarian streak of it's it's mine. I'll take care of it. Or there's going to be some communitarianism that also used to kind of exist too, but, uh, things break down in this country so much. <laughs> we go back and yeah, forth. Yeah. Well, so. right. And there's this huge problems, but, um, what we're looking at, right. Is this, this debt based puns or this Ponzi scheme of 
um, new development that like you know adds a bunch of revenue, and then as the life cycle of the those developments comes due, the revenue picture starts to look negative, ever more sharply negative, as the you know internal uh, investments uh, need to be balanced out by like you know your taxes need to go up like. 10 or 15 times or even more in some places to like make whatever, you know, the, the standard suburban cul-de-sac model community well work as, yeah. as, uh, as, as coming to come into financial balance. And I, so what, okay. What we're, what we're seeing in Jackson, right. Is this, is the fruit of this, of a, of a massive flight of human capital as well as, 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 you know, money, Leading to this problem where they just don't have the capital to maintain a water system, right? And I think that, you know, for the edification of listeners, you know, living in a place where, you know, you don't have running water or reliable electricity can really suck. You know, you're going to be in Germany this winter or maybe even parts of the United States, certainly California, right, where, where reliable electricity at the you know, flip of a switch is a thing of the past. That's you know 100% counterbond, and and I think that at part of this picture, or I know for a fact that part of this picture is the fact that the finances just don't work out, and unlike the federal government, right? You know, states and cities have to have like a balanced budget over the long term, right? Or they, they can't. Go broke. They can't. They can't print um, money. They can't just can't print print money. And, <clears throat> and they, so, and yeah, and we we've seen with El Salvador thinking they could solve their financial problems by adopting a cryptocurrency instead of actually fixing their finances. Uh, that didn't work out too well either. Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. This is sort of the perennial debate between like nationalism and like empire. If you're too small, there are disadvantages and advantages but it's a sort of a scale problem when an efficiency problem you don't have economies of scale where you're like basically having to duplicate a lot of things that you could get if you're part of a bigger network and yeah like small towns states generally can't do things like monetary policy on their own Uh, they can in theory like you know if you have good people and you're on it like singapore or something but um, I wouldn't trust a lot of council members to figure this out. <clears throat> and so, yeah, you need to have a sufficient pool of people to like get the smartest people to do stuff like that. And most small towns just don't have enough people to find enough people to figure that out. So anyway, that, that's sort of a side topic. Um, I wanted to also say the, uh, I think the general trend is clear. There's sort of seems to be a general deterioration without quantifying it. I mean, you probably could quantify it and I'm I'm almost certain you could, but I I just don't have those numbers, but I would, I would agree that there's sort of a general sense that the overall infrastructure level is not as reliable as perhaps it was 50 years ago or 60 years ago. I should say seventies were pretty bad too, but the, the the thing I want to maybe challenge is, this uh, Ponzi scheme article, it gives examples, but I, I don't think it proves that 
everywhere is like that. And maybe he's not arguing that, but he kind of implies that this is sort of America. And I don't think that's correct. I think there are some places that run into these problems, but I don't think it's everywhere. And, and I also don't think that it's necessarily correct to say that you have to have like a business uh, financial profit from every investment a government makes because there are public goods and benefits to the public that are usually acknowledged by most economists to be returns. They're just sort of intangibles and they usually put them in calculations as well. And so, yes, if you're running into budget overruns, it's a problem, but to say that it actually destroyed value, uh, I'm not sure he's going that far, but it's pretty easy to sort of make that leap. I think is also incorrect. I, I I'm looking at, um, you know, again, not, not a, not a huge comprehensive quantitative analysis here, but just sort of looking around <clears throat> there, there are people called uh, transportation engineers, for example, and their, their job is to look at highway projects, um, bridges. Is this money that we're going to put out, you know, $10 million going to generate not necessarily tolls because a lot of bridges don't have toll, toll, toll booths on them. Um, but is this bridge going to generate economic value? And is it also going to do things like, does it increase safety, which you can kind of put an intangible uh, dollar value on, even though it's hard to measure directly? Is it going to improve the quality of life, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just randomly looking around, but there's an article called return on investment. Transportation projects can pay, can more, can more than pay for themselves and benefits. And there's a little graphic here that says the, uh, the studies on three potential projects in El Paso, the total cost would be 60.1 million estimated benefits are 203 million. Uh, and you know, that, that includes things like I mentioned, but a lot of it is, is sort of guesswork and it's hard, but it's also not necessarily Mm -hmm. add up. And then, and then, the well it's never going to be exact first of all and a lot of it is subjective yeah. okay. because it's sure. not a business okay. you're not selling widgets and getting dollars in return you're basically building something that people don't really pay for directly but they still get a benefit from they're paying for it in their taxes but it's like oh, sure. a park sure. i but- mean you don't pay for a park but you get something out of it right so yeah it's kind of like that i i guess i guess and there's criticisms to be made. I think that I think the important thing that people need to understand is that, right, municipal bonds, that four trillion dollars, right? Whenever a city needs to build something, they bond it out, and people invest in it uh, because they're tax free. And, and so, if you have a ridiculous amount of money, right? $20 million, $30 million, $40 million. Taxes are your biggest problem. Right? Because they could take a like a 50% chunk out of you every year in terms of income. If you throw all your money in municipal bonds, then they're tax free. So right. you know, you might only get one percent back or whatever, but you get a hundred percent of that money back. I was looking at muni rates. They're about 4% now, but that that's gone up a lot because I think you're right. Like pre 
COVID inflation um, when everybody thought inflation was dead. Um, yeah, muni, muni bonds were definitely discounted compared to taxable bonds for sure. And you could, you could get 4% on from some of them, but they're usually like uh backloaded, like you wouldn't get paid until the end. And so you'd have to basically just kind of gamble that this bond won't default. There's all these financial engineering things that go into this, but the, the spread between a tax free municipal bond and a taxable, uh, depending on the credit rating bond is non-negative. Uh, so basically what that means is the um, municipal bonds are going to be cheaper because of mainly that tax benefit. Uh, and also potentially the the credit risk of the particular issuer. But that, that varies. But just a- average average basis, you know, for all municipal bonds, I would say, yeah, it's mainly the tax benefit going out on a limb there. But corporate well, finance sure. and, and finance so- is sort of, it, it's all kind of guesswork. Um, they try to make it mathematical and theoretical and, and like, black, you know, but it's, it, black, it's black magic to me. But so, but anyway, so we, we've got this, these cities, right? That, you know, the population might go up by three times, but the, but the size of the cities in terms of physical area has gone up by 10 times. Or the amount of pipe has gone up by three, 10 times and the amount of, uh, area has gone up by three times. So the city of Memphis, for instance, the population has stayed basically the same and the physical size of Memphis has tripled. So, and that's... Wait, the population stayed the same, but the size of the city tripled or did I get that backwards? Yes, 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 that's correct. So the what, physical what, size... Why? So the density went down? Why, why are they doing that? The density went down quite a bit because everyone was running away from the densities of memphis right, which has been, right. basically been the, the you know that makes sense okay if, in the south the, the major economic activity since uh the 60s has been running away from uh our dusky brethren and building houses and issuing bonds and banks and mortgages and yeah highways and everything of like moving away from these violent people that you don't want to live around right and uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, people who can get their beak wet in that sort of situation where, you know, the surveyor has to go out and survey and the bank underwriter, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. It's just a, a gigantic, gigantic grift from beginning to end. And, you know, the bank ends up making a ton of money and, um, you know, the car people make tons of money and yeah. tire people, you know, gas stations. Everybody makes money except for the poor sucker who's, you know, driving two hours a day just to. So, so his wife doesn't get uh, abused while she's going to the grocery store, yeah. right? So it's, it's worth it, but but it, it causes all these problems. Got it. Well, what we're, we're what we're finding now is this municipal finance. You know, all of these projects that have these different developments that have had to come up to to house all these people, and they they don't pay themselves back over time, right? Because they're they're fundamentally not a productive place to live or a productive facility because someone just lives there. It's just a pure sunk cost. They don't, there's no, no income generated. There's no, um, it's far away from everything. So there's all these extra external costs imposed by having to drive everywhere or, um, <clears throat> have your, bring your water and internet and everything else over vast distances so that they impose all these costs. And you've got this, this problem of, you know, municipal bonds of 
well, what happens when cities start not being able, when this Ponzi scheme starts to fall down and cities don't have any money? You know, then you're going to start seeing a domino effect of, uh, you know, well, again, reliable power or clean water or functioning street grids or police or fire or whatever. They're going to have to just, you know, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi might keep its creditors, um, you know, sweet by paying, making sure that their all their bonds get paid off. But they're in default because they, they can't maintain a functioning city. Right. Los Angeles is not a functioning city. You know, there's there's homeless people everywhere. There's there's shit in the streets. There's, you know, I mean, all of this stuff where like it's just not a functioning place to live anymore. And some of that is because of the model of, of living that people have chosen. It's functional, you know, fun, fundamentally not not a, a sustainable long term model. And part of it is a lack of human capital. But a part of it is just it's just it's just not working anymore. And so for our listeners, like find a place or find a way to get away from this so that you don't get caught in the backs, you know, of like how, 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 how worthwhile is that house that you paid half a million dollars for in 2007 when there's no water, you know, like Phoenix, Arizona right now is, is going to run out of water. You know, those million dollar houses outside of Phoenix, are they going to be worth a million dollars when there's no water in Phoenix? I don't know. Well, I think these are questions that, everyone who's thinking of where to live should ask. I I don't necessarily want to be too general because I think there are never easy answers in anything this complex in my experience, at least. And I would also say in my experience, small towns also have issues, big issues that you don't have in big cities. Uh, chiefly being, you don't have a very large pool of people to draw upon. And so therefore, if you don't have the types of people that you're needing to connect with for work or personal life or whatever, uh, you're going to be stuck and that's it. And so you then have, you have to move or drive really far to find other people. And if you do find a community where you do gel with, that's cool, but you also just have certain logistical issues that might be, more available in larger cities as well, like the availability of certain stores or stupid things, but you know, nonetheless important things that uh, we take for granted perhaps if we're in urban areas and I've lived in both. And so I'm just speaking from experience. Uh, I'd also say that depends on your occupation, you know, certain places don't have the type of work that you might need to uh, use to generate income. So it, it really depends and it's very complex, but I think these are the right questions. You should always question the reliability of the things that most people take for granted, which I think is incorrect. And it's unfortunate that we even have to worry about this stupid stuff because a lot of people in the past didn't, but it's just a consequence of our times. I would say that we just don't have the human capital, as you say, to, uh, to keep it running as well. But I want to I want to not generalize too hard because unless you have the numbers, unless you have the maps in front of you, um, I think it's dangerous for people to just assume that 
oh, if I just go to this place, it'll be magically better. It's not. It's it's, it's not that easy. It it really depends. Well, uh, there are factors and there are maps and there is there has been work done. I I do have some of it in front of me right now. So like, like Joel Scott, um, like <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> uh, like okay, so um, a friend of you know Chuck Rons, Joe Minicosi runs a consulting firm called Urban 3, and he's done a bunch of maps and stuff about... Cool. Uh, um, Can like I look at some of these? Like, is there a website or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me let me find it for you. Um, okay. Like, productivity maps of, like, like, value per acre in terms of, like, city. Like, like, like... Talking about money, money, money output, or are you talking about, like, agriculture? Yeah, like, like, it depends on what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah money so. output, like, in a city... Like of, of of you know how much value in it costs the city X to deal with you know water sewer electric mm-hmm. um to deal with this property and we get Y out of it and yep we right so they've done that math and um, it's astonishing how much more productive the the um urban core downtowns of small towns are than the the sprawl based urb uh auto based suburb suburban model okay um regardless of the specifics of any one particular community the thing that people need to understand is your community is probably um in, in bad, bad financial shape because of a combination of a bad development pattern, um, imprudent, uh, you know, fiscal policy or in, imprudent policy, and uh, if anywhere larger than uh, you know fifty thousand people, like a, a lack of human capital problem, right? Because of the uh, you know, invasion since 1965 or what have you, you know, there's been a real degradation of the human capital of the United States. So we've got, we've got this multifaceted problem where, uh, you know, if you've ever been in a group of reasonably intelligent people, you can kind of outline the problem and everyone immediately gets it and then starts to work on something. Uh, a lot of people are either apathetic or, they live in a place with legal weed and they're just high all the time and they just don't care or, you know, that's very common in small towns, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, the ambitious usually leave for big cities and it's, it's a brain drain problem, but can you really blame them? And do you want to start issuing exit visas like the Soviet union? I don't, I don't think that's a good solution either, but, um, and I'm not saying you're saying that either, but I don't know. No, it's not. Do. It's yeah. Well, we tr- we, tr- we find a way to make people want to live right like, yeah, you <laughs> compete you have to compete i mean there's the law of the right. jungle i mean you just have to right. well, be better the, than the competition not only the law of, not the law of the jungle but i think that i think you know you have to give like the reasonably bright young people from america's small towns like a reason to not be like nihilistic and and destroy themselves with like weed and porn and high fructose corn syrup you mm-hmm. know I mean, really, that's that's done a number on a lot of people. Uh, who, if you're under forty, good lord, um, in this country, 
you know, one, one of the biggest problems with boomers is that they just don't understand how dysfunctional. No, um, their their own their own like kids generation is is, is uh, become. I think we all experience that with our parents, but <clears throat> the disconnect. Oh, it's complete. It's a, it's a complete total disconnect. My parents are boomers, and I'm a you know zennial or whatever, and and like they have no idea just how dysfunctional like the average person my age is, you know, mid mid early forties, and uh, the idea that that uh, you know most of my peers are like total fail sons of uh, and, and barely function through life. It's, not something that, that you know my elders think about much but but it is very very much true and uh I, I guess that you know how do we keep those young people in a place that is like worth living in and how do you make a place worth living in those are those are you know almost existential questions and they're gonna have to be kind of worked out as a community of like what do we do and how do we live um, well, can, can, can I be honest with you? Go ahead. I I don't know if the uh, the old the old ways of doing things are going to answer our modern problems. And when I say that, I, what I mean specifically is going going to your town hall and having a meeting with these morons at the the council members and trying to advocate for some kind of change when you're, you're basically just wasting time. Um, and I also think that that that's just the sort of part of it as a generational problem, like where there is that disconnect at that real functional, like political level. Um, it's also a human capital problem that you just can't really get around that. You can't like fix stupid. Um, and I would say <laughs> there's alternative systems that I don't necessarily put complete faith in, but I think they're worth considering that basically leverage what we're doing right now, which is using the internet that say, look, um, our old models of, you know, I'm going to get on a soapbox. I mean, that's literally what people had to do to get people's attention. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. There's no internet that that was how people communicated. Um, and they did business that way. You'd have to like go to the center of town. Why do towns exist? I mean, they're efficient ways to distribute goods, services, and ideas uh, without having to walk far. <laughs> you just cluster things together. Uh, and then as transport technology improved, you could sort of get these suburban, exurban systems going. But yes, they're less less efficient. However, they also as the Memphis example illustrates, they insulate the people that can afford it from the problems of parasites, basically taking up too much energy in your core. And I think another workaround, not just leaving your geographic proximity and then commuting is also just using networking technology to work with people wherever you can find them to maximum effect. And that's how corporations work today. They don't like sit, you know, in one little location and they go to where the talent is. They go to where the capital of human capital, but also resources, financial capital, wherever it may 
it may be, they, they have to go there. And I don't think we, as a whatever people we are at this point, can really ignore that. I think we have to do the same thing. Um, and so in the example... Oh, yeah, the, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and so just, like, what do we do? Just use the tools that are out there to the maximum effect. And to try to have this romantic notion of, I'm going to make my town into, you know, the... What is it? The Knox Remnant or... The, I, I, I don't know if you or one of our friends sent us a sent me a book about these people that kind of withdraw from society. A- Ayn Rand had this like fantasy of like, we're, we're just going to pull up the, pull up the drawbridge and everybody else is going to burn. And we're, we're going to isolate ourselves in this little community. I don't think that'll work. Uh, I think countries that try to do that ultimately fail. I mean, if you look at what Russia is doing right now, I, I've never really weighed in on like my side on this thing, but I think Russia is going to, most likely to lose. I don't think the strategy of like taking on the networked global system is a good one because you're, you're running into a battle with a lot of disadvantages. Um, this isn't about like morality. It's just about a, just a matter of technology and it's a matter of logistics. I, I don't think we're any different than that in our frustrations. I think we have to basically, take advantage of the stuff that's out there and try to learn critique and, and honestly just be a little bit more mobile than our, our ancestors because we have to be. And I think that'll probably be a way we survive and do better than maybe our, or well, our, our children more mobile, can do better. Being, being more mobile doesn't necessarily mean, um, being more flexible, I guess, doesn't necessarily mean leaving the you know exurban commute three hours. No, no, I, I I agree with you. I, I, I'm just and, saying, and, like, can and, we and, can we transform this geographic zone into something that looked like 1950s Mayberry? I don't think so. No, that's what I'm no, saying. No, it's not possible. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no. And, and, and insofar as like, like to clarify, I don't think that that's going to happen either. I just think that like from a pure like quality of life sort of problem i don't think that a lot of these places are going to are going to work over the long term uh because they're not going to be able to provide things like reliable electricity or running water or reliable internet or whatever you know and like living in a small town like you know moving from small town to small town where you know there's a mill that you know used to generate you know used to be you know, grinding grain for surrounding farmers, but now provides, you know, you know, like cheap hydroelectric power might be a useful place. Right. And then, you know, you get your most of your socialization or whatever um, from the internet and you network and, and work with companies that are interested in, you know, highly talented young people and they don't care where you live. And that's great. You know, and you can be like, um, so there's a, a County, the, the very, very tip, of Oklahoma's panhandle. It's called Cimarron County. And it borders Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, and the rest of Oklahoma. Right? It was the heart of the Dust Bowl back in the Depression. 
the, the population's like approximately like 1,100 people in, in Boise City, where where it's the county seat. And like the the income there is 35,000 a year. So if you were able to like land a tech job that works remote and go someplace like Western Kansas or Western Oklahoma in the Panhandle, right? You can live pretty well. And as long as you're living someplace that's not, you know, super spread out and dealing with this, you know, financial house of cards, you can still live pretty good. Um, you know, like the, the days of, of like like meeting the girl next door and marrying her and like going down, you know, going down to the malt shop to, you know, share a vanilla malt and uh, that I don't that's foolish to think that that's coming back. I just, I just am interested in making sure that like, if you're a listener of ours, um, I want you to live the, the best life that you can and living in a place where the water isn't reliable is a bad, is a bad play. And so, you know, there's well, this, this looming threat coming up of, well, you know, insolvent cities that aren't going to be able to do things like provide you with the internet. You need to work your knowledge job. I've been kind of a, one might call a prepper or others might say just paranoid for quite a while now. Um, I think, I think the past few years have proven me not insane with COVID and with these riots and just these examples of municipalities not even able to deliver functional services, uh, and, and basic infrastructure and things like that. But, um, I, I fully admit that my situation is probably not replicable for at least a, a large number of people because I've been able to financially afford to relocate to somewhere where I can provision, frankly, a lot of these things myself, which is just not realistic for a lot of people. Um, it's not very efficient on a civilizational scale, by the way, which I'm fully aware of and um, I'm not guilty about basically not delegating my myself and my family's potential future to incompetent bureaucrats, but I, I realize that a lot of people just can't afford that. And so what are, I mean, I've heard you tell, say a few ideas, but I mean, why, why don't we just discuss, you know, practical matters like here for people who can't just, well, maybe they don't work off a laptop or they can't afford to get land somewhere. Um, how do you see it in terms of like, what do you do? Um, I mean, I have, I have a few compromise ideas in my head, but I'd like to hear what you, what you think for somebody who just can't afford to uproot themselves as easily. Okay. Well, um, you're, you're very large cities with large populations of, um, non-Europeans are probably a bad bet. And, but you, <clears throat> if what, what, what if you shit. work? What if you work in tech or something? Well, I guess you're not really talking about that. But like you know, Asians or Hispanics, even. I mean, uh, if you work in construction, you're probably not going to get away from Hispanics. And so, w w um, I'm just I'm just sort of like throwing like caveats to this. But what would you say to those people? <laughs> well, I, I mean, like from from purely a a like you know, there's the summer of love stuff that you would like to avoid, but also just the politics of like, they, they suck. 
you know, the, the, the laptop class people. I mean, I, I are one, but like, you know, the average person <laughs> who's like cares very, cares very deeply about the, you know, making sure that um, abortion is available up to the 11th trimester. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know, you know these people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, um, it's funny too. They, they and, think this is actually like a, a big, like, Oh, you, by the way, do you know that like abortion is illegal now? And I'm like, well, depends first of all, but um, they think that this is like somebody who's struggling to put food in the refrigerator. They think this is like their fucking issue. And it's like, dude, like you, you live in, in, in cloud world, like a Z man would say, like this is not important to people who are struggling. This is a a virtue signaling thing for you. And it, it might matter to some people too, also on a religious basis or a moral basis. But to say that like, this is going to impact somebody who's struggling financially, um, it's really obnoxious. And I, I've run across this a lot and I, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm pro-life or pro-choice in this example. I'm just arguing that this is sort of how these people think. They think that these like John Stewart's like Stephen Colbert talking points are really important to working class people. Major issues that need to be worried about. Yeah. No, that they're completely nuts. Um, but like there's, there's that problem of like just living on these people is insufferable and, and not because like I am a religious fanatic and whatever. And <clears throat> I am like the, the patriot, well, why do you say you're you fanatic? Know? Are you just being self-deprecating or what, what do you mean by that? No, no, no. I mean, I like, I genuinely, like I genuinely believe in, in a religion that is anti-liberal and I, right. I, so like I, if there was I, another crusade, like you'd be like, sign me up or, what do you mean by fanatic? Yeah. Like, or like, okay, <laughs> just just want to clarify. Got it. Right. No, I, I, I'm 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 religiously anti-liberal. Like I like not just not gotcha. just like oh I'm a classical liberal or whatever. Like a lot of people, like I I, I am uh, a firm and committed anti-liberal. Like I do not believe in freedom for like you know women or um, you know people without children or whatever. Like like <laughs> I am the, I, I am the enemy of these people. You know like think about. Um, and that's fine you know i wish i wish yeah. that most republicans were the fascists that, that these people think they are okay. um but uh but uh for, for the most part right like these places austin portland they're just going to be bad places to live because these people make bad decisions and institute bad policies like it's okay to just steal or we're not going to clean up human feces on the street because yep. it's racist or whatever, or whatever, you know, whatever ridiculous nonsense you want to like San Francisco or Austin. And well, um, it's, it's and, to and me, so it's sad because a lot of these places have a lot to offer. And some of that is because of the liberals. And I would argue, but they also, they, they have like screws loose when it comes to like pragmatic things that, I, I I don't know. I, it's just a bizarre thing. Like, can we just get like a good city that like is like cool, like that's not like boring, but also like has functional things as well. Like, it's so hard to find no. in America. It's astonishing. No. <laughs> like, no, I, I mean, Austin because... would be cool, but like, it's just well, it, it's okay, but it's like fucking San Francisco or Portland. I mean, these places are, are dumpsters. Like, they're, they're they're just like so misrun, you know. And but I like the. The, the cafe culture and all that stuff because I, you know, I'm semi intellectual. I like to talk to people and be creative. I like these people, but they also, they're completely out to lunch 
when it comes to doing fundamental things. And that that's what is so fucking frustrating for me. Of course, and, yeah. No, I, I would love to live in a, in a place where like all the girls do yoga and the beer's good, <laughs> and like the architecture's nice. And, yeah, right. Sure. And, Why not? And it's not. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, you know, like uh, the people of warmer life that you get in rural America really kind of sucks because because like it, it's it drains your soul, right? Like mm-hmm. like like when every girl you see is like, you know a single mom that weighs 300 pounds like it's it's, it's hard to get up and get to work in the it's morning, not every like, girl but yes i i know what you're talking about <laughs> right right you know and certain places in this country that that's the that's the problem right and uh so you know on, on a on a more pragmatic level like you know getting away from places like austin like portland like San Francisco is a prudent move just because these people's politics suck and they're, and they're going to, and nothing short of like something really bad happening is ever yeah. going to make them wise up. Well, okay. And, but and, what, what about this? What if you just view it as a mercenary? You're like, all right, I'm just going to like do this for a decade, make my money. And then I'll be able to afford living in a nicer place where I can raise kids. Like what's wrong with that? Is that a bad strategy? No, if you're, if you're willing to like, I'm just going to, you know, deal with the nonsense for a year, you know, five years or six years. And, you know, well, it's not as pleasant, but you know, pleasant things usually aren't free. And so there's trade offs in all of this. Right. I mean, if you like, if you're like, look, there's no way I'm going to find, you know, the 130 IQ woman that I want to be the mother of my children in, you know, Western Nebraska. Um, I mean, (laughs) Like the odds, like the odds of her being available and interesting, and you know whatever. Pretty low. It's pretty low. Pretty low. It's whereas you know, like cities are where capital accumulates, including intellectual capital. And so, right. you know, like, um, people are gonna like you're much more likely to find it. You know, like that kind of gal at at the uh, you know university library. Yeah, just good luck convincing her to have kids. But um, right. Well, and that's a whole separate issue, right? But like this, this so. The nihilism problem of of you know, young people is is another issue, but like from purely a where to live sort of situation, if you're willing to do that, if you're you know the kind of guy that like you know you graduate college at 21 a little bit early and you like you've got a high earner field and you're like I'm just gonna suck it up from now till I'm 30 and live in these places and you know live cheap and save a ton and, and you know, buy a place out in like, you know, in the in a woods in North Idaho or Western Montana or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, okay, right? You know, if that's what you want to do, like, go for it. But for a lot of guys, if you're like a younger dude in the trades, who's not going to be able to find that, um, you know, super high mobility knowledge job where you can make those kind of transitions, a smaller town. That, that is near, you know, some older form of transportation, whether this canal or a river or um, a railroad would be a much better bet because those places will still be viable if if the highway-based, you know, truck transportation, car-based civilization stuff doesn't work out, which I don't think it is. Hmm. Um, and, I think it's possible, but I'd also not be certain on that. I think there's well, I'm not, I'm a fair not. number of smart people who want that system to continue. 
there's a lot of money in that, obviously. Um, I, I don't I don't see how it works out for a number of reasons. One, like the fantasy electric cars is just that a fantasy. It's not the grid's not gonna be able to support it. Two, um, you know, peak oil is is a thing um that, that is gonna make um cheap and easy motoring a thing of the past. Um and I definitely think it's it, going to get ex- more expensive. I, I, I agree with that for right. mainly, mainly the reasons you cited. I don't necessarily think electrics are completely bonkers, but I do think they're going to be more intensive in terms of the resources we have to pull out of the ground. It's basically uh, I don't, and I, I don't it's think sort of like enough. a, a trade between a drill and a shovel and the amount of mining we're going to have to do. Uh, it, it's I don't think people get it. it it's we've never seen it. And we're, no, what, what are, what are going to power all those uh, mining trucks? I mean, it's probably going to be diesel, right? So that's going to be more yeah. expensive too. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think it's possible. Like there's resource constraints and then uh, yeah. from purely like, you know, like the, there's uh, possibly constraints on uranium. And I don't know if we have enough uranium to like, I do think nuclear is a very promising possibility very if we promising. can get the politics yeah. out of the way, but it, it's, yeah. Look at what Germany's doing. I mean, they're, supposedly intelligent but i think they're making huge mistakes on their energy policies yeah they are they're they're deliberately shooting themselves and like shooting themselves in the foot be like an improvement they're like (laughs) yeah i mean they're shooting themselves in the foot and the legs and the you know through the arm and it's, it's it's suicide because of of uh, the psychological warfare that's been waged on the German people, I don't know about uh, you know that, that, but some some kind of nuclear is is probably the way that things are going to go in the future, just because um, cheap oil's uh, probably a thing of the past. We'll see. Um, but you know, if I think if it, you're able I to live in if you're able to live in a smaller town that's that's reasonably close to a rail network or some kind of reliable water transportation. Um. Then that's probably not a bad life. I think that's that's a better way to go. Um, yeah, not 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 terrible advice. I, I think there's there's something to that. Having sort of a well, I think what's what's good about that is you you can't outsource good geography. There's only so much no. good geography in the world, and if you have a good location, um, you have sort of a non fungible aspect to your location that will give you a competitive edge basically and whether it's canals whether it's uh micro drones whether it's uh 3d printing who the hell knows but uh it geography is is not easy to replicate so i would agree with some of that thinking Uh, i would also add that if you're worried about an energy crisis um and a water crisis and a re- basically a resource crisis. Um, start factoring in the seasons to your thinking pretty carefully, because if our technology and our energy wasn't available, a lot of places in the United States simply wouldn't be habitable. Uh, that goes for a lot of places in the world, obviously, but it just, you know, our audience is primarily oh, yeah. American. And so yeah, the entire you know, Southwest, the Southwest I mean, even the mountain, yeah, the states tough to tough to get by if you don't have a lot of firewood if you don't have food stocked away for the winter winters can be pretty harsh um 
And indeed they can. Yeah. It's um you know, the Midwest has winters, but it's so freaking flat that it's like it's it's you're not gonna get cut off. I mean, there was a, a movie uh, James LaFon had me watch once, um can't remember the title, but it was basically about this uh town in the Swiss Alps that, you know, before giant snow plows and earth moving machinery to move mountains of literal mountains of snow out of the way. Uh, these towns would get cut off during the winter and you basically would have to like subsist on whatever the hell you farmed and canned and saved up because it would be another, uh, four to five months before the roads were clear. So imagine that, (laughs) you know, in America grid goes down and then people have guns and people are nuts and they're on drugs. Who the hell knows what's going to happen. But factor that into your location. Yes, that's true. Planning. That nice gal down at the library, you know, what's she going to be like when she doesn't have her box wine and Xanax? (laughs) Um, uh, There's, I mean, if you're listening to this program, you're either, um, you know, working for someone who's, you know, an establishment, you know, like you're being paid by the SPLC or something, or you're, you know, a reasonably clued in person. Uh, I I, I don't, I I don't think I need to tell you that. um, Shout shout out to our friends at the uh, Southern Poverty (laughs) Law Center because they care about the South and they're all about poor people. That's that's what they care exactly. about. Yeah. That's exactly what they care about. Um, and, uh, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation is uh, nothing but a, a group of upstanding uh, law enforcement officers who are uh, square jawed and squared away. And uh, none, of the, none of them are pet, none of them are pedophiles or uh, yeah. perverts. And, and we, we salute you. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and so anyway, the, the I, I think that. You know, if you're capable of listening to this program with any kind of attention, you're you're more than capable of looking into this stuff for yourself. Um, you you didn't get here without having an inquisitive mind willing to uh, ask some questions of the establishment. And you know, I just offer it out there that a lot of these places are not going to be functional in the future. And whether that's like um, you know, just the the water system doesn't work, we'll have have a you know, like, dude. Can you put a well where you live? Is it safe? You know, is the is the you know, if you're in the middle of a big industrial city, and you put a well down, is the water drinkable? Maybe not. Um, so that's something something to think about and something to worry about. And uh, I would think that um, a large number of our, our listeners have have already thought about this sort of stuff. And and you know, just just take all this stuff into account. That you know, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you're. Um, you know, your big cities are, are not going to be financially viable into the future because of this, uh, this suburban sprawl model that, that just costs the money and doesn't doesn't really uh, have any return on investment. Yeah, and, and what I would add from, again, experience is if you want to get out of a city and you want to go your own way in a small town, um, it's either going to take time, money, or a combination of those. And if you don't have either, it's just not going to happen. It just won't. So if you haven't thought about it and you haven't traveled to maybe see some possibilities, 
you need to get on it because it's it's definitely not going to happen in a crisis because everything gets more scarce in a crisis because people start clambering for things that they need. And in a crisis, typically the ability to replenish the supply of sought after goods like we saw with the dumbest stuff like toilet paper, but also just the knock on effects of people not going back to work, building materials and uh, electronics and just everything just got hosed. And that, that was sort of a semi-manufactured crisis. I mean, think about a, a genuine war or uh, just overall genuine breakdown of, of the well, infrastructure. What, what happens if, if the you won't have the time and your money will be worthless at that point. So you need to do it earlier rather than later is my point. But right. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Well, and what if the balloon goes up with Taiwan and there's just no microchips? like how much how much stuff just isn't going to work with no with no microchips well don't throw your old computers away is what i would say um (laughs) yeah (laughs) just keep keep those in the closet (laughs) that's what i do (laughs) but uh just in case all right well it's been good talking to my friend yeah it's been a while but maybe we'll do another show sometime yes indeed Uh, all right i mean if i ever get this damn book finished we'll have to talk about it uh i'm i'm working on uh, uh, a book about American urbanism in the 20th century and kind of exploring some of the stuff we've talked about here and other things that we've talked about on this program and elsewhere that I, that I've talked about in this program and elsewhere. Hope to be finished writing it in 2023. So look, look for that. I'll, I'll let people know on my telegram channel and a few other places. I'm sure, I'm sure if I, if I do finish it and I do find a publisher, I'll be, you know, banging down your door to get, get to get back out there and, and move some books just because you know how it goes and and if if people haven't already you know picked up your book uh, it's it's outstanding i mean i I, you know i was fortunate enough to get a review copy because of my work here on the show but uh you know uh, get it it's it's one of the best things that anyone in our our sphere has ever produced is, is that book so well that's very nice of you to say and uh i've never told anybody on I guess my program, but I am working on another book. I don't know when it's going to be finished, but it's, it's going to be related to what we're talking about. What, what can we do in this mess of a situation we find ourselves in? And it's, uh, it's sort of a carry on to the the first book, but it's, it's more applied as opposed to ideological. Yeah. Yeah, I think ideology doesn't matter much anymore. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very ideological, but I realize that uh, that you know I would much rather just. You have to be able to afford and... ideology, and a lot of people just can't, unfortunately, anymore. Um, which maybe is a good thing. Maybe our ideology actually should should flow from what we really need versus what we think we need. Yep. So I think so. I think so. Well, it was good talking, to you, my friend. I'll, I'll Likewise, try not to be so scarce. <laughs> yeah, we we hope the same. All right. Until next time. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. 
Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. But trust me, in 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future, or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long. And in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much. Or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room. Read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Get to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. They're your best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Understand that friends come and go, but with a precious few, you should hold on. Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle, because the older you get, the more you need the people you knew when you were young. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise, politicians will philander, you too will get old. And when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund. Maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse. But you never know when either one might run out. 
Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. But trust me, on the sunscreen.